Good morning. Uh, I'm Maggie Valentine. I'm our liturgist today. We welcome those of you who are joining us in the sanctuary, and we want to welcome those of you who have joined us through our Facebook live streaming. We are glad you are with us for this time of worship. It would be helpful if you would like our live stream or leave a comment so that we know you are watching. Uh, some announcements this morning. Our bell choir is looking for a few more members to join in the fun. They, they practice from 6 to 7 on Wednesday evenings. If you are interested, please let Debbie LeMaster know, and if you are unsure of how to contact Debbie, let one of our pastors know, and they will make sure that Debbie contacts you. And now I'll pass it over to Kathy for the prayer of preparation. Good morning, church. What a joy to be with you again, and excuse me, to have had our morning start off with a beautiful fellowship breakfast. Thanks to all of you who made that happen. Um, an exciting thing, another exciting thing that's going to happen in September after two and a half years of not being able to have manna meals, we are starting manna meals, not tomorrow, but a week from Monday. Uh, we're going to do that kind of at a limited basis until we grow back into it. It will be a come and go out in the parking lot. We have switched to Mondays because those of you that have been around on Fridays, you know that parking on Cherry Street on Fridays is very difficult, and we think this way we'll be able to get more people here with that. So be watching uh, your email for more information on that. Those are my only announcements other than just to remind you all that it is Sunday, the day that the Lord has made, and we rejoice. Will you go with me to God in prayer? Oh, gracious and loving God, we do indeed give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks that you called us to this place, whether you called us in person or whether you called us to watch online. But we come together as a community lifting our hearts to you in praise and thanksgiving. God, we know we don't have to ask you to be here because wherever we are, you are always here, just waiting for us. So instead, God, we ask that you use this time to help us be present to you, remove the distractions, remove the, remove the wandering thoughts so that our time can be spent focused on you, focused on community. God, we ask that you help us during this time to experience the risen Christ so that we may indeed leave today transformed. Amen. St. Paul's United Methodist Church welcomes, affirms, and extends our love to all persons regardless of age, ethnicity, income, nationality, life experiences, abilities, sexual orientation, gender identity or gender expression. All are welcome into our family. Well, good morning, St. Paul's family. I am so happy to be here with you today. Um, yes, I am still very pregnant. <laughs> As many of you have noticed, but I expect this week to be the week. Um, I also am rejoicing because today is my dear husband's birthday. He is 34 years old. He'll love knowing that that's on live stream somewhere for all to know. <laughs> so it is a wonderful day to be here. It's a wonderful day to celebrate. Um, anyway, if this is my last Sunday with you, I just want you to know how much I love you all. And I am so um, appreciative of your support and love throughout this entire pregnancy. So thank you. And I will be back. It's not goodbye. It's uh, BRB. <laughs> in 10 weeks. <laughs> anyway, 
Uh, let us go to God in prayer together. Holy One, we are disturbed this week by the callous behavior that we have witnessed toward your precious children. Too often human beings in our world, whom you created so fearfully and wonderfully, are treated as mere pawns, things to be used rather than people to be loved and cared for. Remind us not to pursue our selfish gains, but instead to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and gentleness. And encourage us to call out injustice with a voice that echoes yours. O Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. God of peace, we continue earnestly in our prayers for war-torn Ukraine and all of those places in the world that have been ravaged by senseless violence. We are devastated by the sight of 440 mass graves and cry out in pain and anguish for all the innocent lives they represent. We pray that you and your mercy would dry the eyes of every man, woman, and child who have seen and endured unspeakable evil and whose trauma may be lifelong. May your mere presence provide them with healing and comfort. And we also pray, O oh God, for an end to war, so your people may finally enjoy an enduring peace. O oh Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Humble one, our country and its people are plagued with the want and obsession of money and wealth. The inequities of our world's resources take food from the mouths of hungry poor, instead feeding the greed of the most powerful and privileged. Galvanize us, not only to hold those who abuse others with their insatiable greed accountable, but challenge us to cast out the greed and selfishness that lies within our own hearts. O Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. God, with conviction in our hearts and a resolve to do justice and love mercy in this world, we pray together with one voice, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning I will be reading from the Gospel of Luke. I want to remind you that Jesus is traveling from Galilee, where he spent most of his ministry, and he's going down to Jerusalem for the last time. And he's taking his time going from village to village, both teaching and healing and preaching. Now you may remember two weeks ago, our scripture reading said that large crowds were following him. People are wanting to get a glimpse of him and see what all the excitement is about. But he also has the attention of the Pharisees, the elite religious leaders, and they are not happy with what they are seeing. 
Jesus is turning the order of things upside down. He's drawing the circle wider. He's hanging out with those that the Pharisees look down on. And even though this morning's scripture will start with, Jesus also said to his disciples, Jesus knows that the Pharisees are in the crowd and they are listening to every word he is saying. I'll be reading from Luke 16, 1 through 13. This is a reading from the gospel, so I invite those of you to either stand as you are able or to rise in your seats. Then Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man. That always gives us a clue of where Jesus may be going. There was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and he said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do? Now that my master is taking the position away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as a manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? And he answered, a hundred jugs of olive oil. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 50. Then he asked another, and how much do you owe? And he replied, a hundred containers of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And then his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of the light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what, with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for a servant will either hate one and love the other, or to be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve wealth and God. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. <clears throat> Will you go with me to God in prayer? <clears throat> oh, gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. For indeed, you are our rock and our ruler. And God, I ask at this time that you help me to step back. Fill me with your spirit so that it is your word, not mine, that is heard so that it is your word that lands in our hearts, so that it is your word that comes back to us throughout the week and causes us to ponder, so that it is your word that leads us to transformation. Amen. <clears throat> now I have to admit, I have been wrestling with this scripture. 
Since Emily preached last week, I've actually had two weeks to prepare for today. And knowing that this past week was going to be busy, I started early, and oh, I am so glad I did. I do not know how I have avoided this scripture in the 12 years that I've been preaching, but I have never preached with it being the primary text. And on first read, it seemed so contradictory to what I believe Jesus would say. It feels like Jesus is commending someone for acting dishonestly. It's, it's as if he is saying, well, the end justifies the means. Because in verse 8 we hear, the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted cleverly. Yes, on first read, this is a head-scratcher. Scratcher. Every single commentary I read had something along the lines of, this is probably the most complicated and misunderstood of all Jesus' sayings. <clears throat> and to be honest, after about five days of wrestling with it, I decided to skip it and find something else. I even called Emily and I said, I can't figure this one out. I'm not going to preach on it. Oh, but I love how the Holy Spirit works. I couldn't let it go. And I was bound and determined to make meaning of it. I did find comfort a couple of days ago when a well-renowned pastor out of the Dallas area posted on a clergy website, <clears throat> clergy Facebook page, he posted, would somebody please help me with this scripture? I can't figure it out. But as I wrestled with it, I gained insight on one of the great teachings of Jesus. <clears throat> now, obviously, Jesus wasn't telling us to use deceptive means to get ahead. That goes against everything Jesus taught us. And in verse 10, he's summing up the parable <clears throat> by saying, whoever is faithful with the little is also faithful with much. And one who is dishonest with little is also dishonest with much. So what could Jesus have possibly meant from this parable? And then I read a piece by Brian McLaren, who is one of my favorite theologians and authors and pastors. And he reminded me what I tell you all so often, yet I neglected to remember. Context matters. First, Jesus did not tell this parable in isolation. It's still part of the conversation that he's having with the crowds who have followed him, including the Pharisees, the elite, the powerful, and yes, the rich religious leaders. The author of the Gospel of Luke sets the beginning of the conversation up by saying, all the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him, and the Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus tells the crowd three vivid parables about God's grace, two of which Emily mentioned last week, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, stories of how God never gives up and keeps on looking for us when we're lost. And then that parable is followed by one that our lectionary skips, but it's one you know well, the prodigal son. And in all three parables, there is sheer delight in the lost being found. The three parables 
are of God's unfailing grace, grace that keeps looking for us and grace that doesn't give up until we are found. And then immediately after that, in the very next sentence, Jesus follows up with this parable. And remember, Jesus' parables are designed to turn things upside down and to show us what the kingdom of God looks like. Shock value is always inherent in Jesus' parables. Who would leave 99 sheep behind to go look for one? Who would search endlessly and tirelessly for a lost coin with little value when she has others? And who would welcome back a wayward son after receiving his inheritance and disowning and shaming his family and he squandered all of his riches and he comes crawling back? You see, those are three parables that were so countercultural. They caused those in the crowd, including the Pharisees, to gasp. And so does this one. And as I was struggling to figure out its meaning, McLaren reminded me that this morning's parable can only be understood if we have a basic understanding of Palestinian economics. Remember, <clears throat> the backdrop of all of the Gospels is that they unfold in Roman-occupied territory. The Israel and Palestine region was under the rule of the Roman government. Now, I'm going to ask you to be patient with me for a minute <clears throat> because I've learned there is no such thing as a former teacher. The teacher in me is going to come out this morning so that you can grasp the boldness of this parable. You see, the original hearers of the story got it immediately because they were living in the context. Jesus' ministry takes place in Roman-occupied territory. And as any occupiers do, the Romans came to exploit the natural resources and exploit the laborers of the people. And how did they do that? primarily through taxation. Now I know it is hard for us today to imagine a system in which the rich and the powerful pay very little taxes and the poor people pay a lot. But just try to imagine that world. And like in some areas, the rich and the poor live separately. Rich people lived in the south, in Judea, where the capital city and the religious center of Jerusalem was. And the poor people, the small farmers, they lived north in Galilee, and they produced olive oil and wheat and wine, all the things that the Romans wanted to export, export and profit from. Oh, what a great opportunity for these small farmers to get out of poverty, to get rich. But it didn't work that way. No, we can't let the poor break free of poverty. And the poor are vulnerable, and they have no voice of power. So the Romans heavily taxed the small farmers, and of course, they couldn't pay their taxes. 
But here come the rich people to the rescue, the rich people from the south, those from the same culture and religious background as those in Galilee. And they go to the farmers and they say, have we got a deal for you? We will pay your taxes in exchange for the deed to your property. But no worries, you can still live on our property as tenant farmers for the low cost of giving us a percentage of the wheat, wine, and olive oil that you produce. So now the rich people from the south had all these highly valued commodities to sell to the Romans, and the rich got richer, and the farmers, the poor, they felt the burden of being indebted. Yeah, hard for us to imagine over 2,000 years later. One more detail to remember. The rich landowners didn't want to travel to Galilee to collect their goods. Not only was it a long journey, but it was also unsafe for them. They were despised by the tenant farmers and the people in the area. So they sent a middleman, a manager, whose job it was to squeeze as much as they could from the farmers, thus yielding the biggest profit, not for the farmers who were actually doing the work, but for the landowners who were living in luxury. And the manager's pay was a cut of what he brought in for the land. So in this morning's parable, for whatever reason, the landowner thought his manager was not doing a good job. He wasn't getting a big enough return on his investment. He wasn't squeezing the farmers hard enough. So he calls him in and says, get your books ready to turn in because I'm going to fire you. And then that inner dialogue with the manager starts. What am I going to do? I have been loyal to this boss for many years. I have done his dirty work. I have made him rich, and now he's firing me. I don't want to dig ditches, and I don't want to beg. What can I do? I can only imagine this manager's frustration as he realizes how loyal he was and how quickly his boss turned on him. He realizes how expendable he is in this economic pyramid. And then it hits him. He realizes his loyalty was in the wrong place. He has been trying to keep those above him on the cultural ladder of success happy, and he has been trampling on those below him. And so he switches his loyalties. He realizes that it's not the rich man who can help him, but that if he can develop relationships with the farmers, if he can do something good for them, then they are the ones who might be able to help him when he is in need. I'm going to do things so that I have friends among the poor. And maybe they will help me when I have nothing. So he goes to them. How much do you owe my boss? 900 gallons of olive oil? No, let's make it 450. 1,000 bushels of wheat? Eh, let's make it 800. So the farmers get a break, and they are relieved from their debt. And McLaren points out 
That's what this story is about. Not someone who was evil, but rather someone who saw through the injustice of the economic system and decided to switch sides and work for the poor. And when the landowner sees what he did, surprisingly, he doesn't get mad. He commends him for this new insight, for this clever thinking. And that's what Jesus is saying, my friends. Money is not the ultimate measure of all things. Jesus is saying, don't use relationships to make money, but rather use your money in service to relationships. Use your money not to impress, not to establish a false sense of security, but rather to help others. And please know, that Jesus is not telling us to use dishonest means to make money. We don't know that the manager was being dishonest. He might have been taking his percentage off the farmer's bill, or he might have been giving, have them, <coughs> have them given what was the fair market value rather than the inflated payment that the landowner wanted. You see, friends, this isn't a parable about dishonesty. It's about what life in God's kingdom looks like. And friends, that's what we are called to bring forth. And not just in gigantic, earth-shattering ways, but in the everyday moments of our life. To think about how our actions impact those who are not as fortunate as us. To think about the way that we spend and manage our resources. Jesus was very clear. We can't serve both money and God. And way too often, that message rubs us the wrong way. We don't want God messing with our money. And for sure, we don't want to hear the preacher talk about money. But friends, our culture has become obsessed with money and profit. And as McLaren pointed out in the article I read, and I want to read you this quote, we have a culture that looks at the oceans and the mountains and the rivers and the soil and the forest and not think about their inherent value at all. We only think about how we can convert them to make short-term profit for those at the top of the economic period. He goes on to say, money has brainwashed us and blinded us and it is hurting our environment in devastating ways. Now remember, the parables are designed to show us a glimpse of God's kingdom. The kingdom of God that Jesus proclaims has an economic system, and it's one that invites all of us, all of us, to lose faith in that system that says, let the rich do whatever they want and let whatever crumbs trickle down to the rest of us. No, friends, in God's system, Everybody matters. In God's kingdom, we forgive the debts of those who are struggling. We find ways to provide resources for those who are in need, and we make the rich pay their fair share. Now, friends, please hear me clearly. This is not some far-left political agenda. It's the gospel. And so what does that mean for us today? Jesus says for us to be faithful with what we have. I love the way that John Wesley says it. 
John Wesley says, make all the money you can, save all the money you can, and give away all the money you can. But friends, it's not just our money, it's all of our resources, our time, our talents, our gifts. How are we using them? To try to win the favor of those we want to impress, to give ourselves a higher standing, or to help usher in God's kingdom. Friends, in 51 days, we will have our November elections. And as your pastor, I will never, ever, ever tell you who to vote for. But I will encourage you with everything I have to get out and vote. And I encourage you as your pastor to vote in a manner that reflects the kingdom of God to cast your vote in a way as you think about the vulnerable, the poor, the disadvantaged, and those without a voice. Let your vote speak for them. You see, friends, in today's reading, Jesus reminds us to be faithful with what we have. And he reminds us that we can't serve two masters. Do our actions, including our vote, reflect our love for God and our commitment to bringing forth God's kingdom to earth, to all of earth as it is in heaven? And he reminds us that it's faithfulness with the little things in our lives as well as the big things. I have to admit, it's the little things I struggle with most. God doesn't always find me faithful. You see, I've got the big stuff down. I don't cheat, I don't steal, I don't lie, I don't commit adultery, I don't murder. But sometimes, for the sake of convenience, I shop at stores that have unfair hiring practices or a great disparity between the wage of the executives and the workers. <clears throat> sometimes I don't always take good care of the environment. Sometimes I throw away way too much food because it has gone bad in my refrigerator. And sometimes I am wasteful with one of the most precious gifts we are given, our time. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but every once in a while while I'm feeling overwhelmed, I'll play a silly game on my computer. It kind of takes all the overwhelmed away for a minute, and I think I'll just play one game. And one game turns into two, and two turns into three. And Friday, I was working on my sermon and feeling a little overwhelmed, so I took a break and played a game and another game. And I said, okay, God, I'm just going to play one more. Now, I know God doesn't really care, but it was like, maybe if I tell God I'm just going to play one more, I'll do that. <clears throat> well, I lost, and I just barely lost. So I went, one more, and then I heard, if we are not faithful with the little things, I said, okay. You see, my friends, Jesus is very plainly tells us we can't serve two masters. So this week, I encourage you, I encourage us to take inventory of all of the resources that God has given us, not just our money, and see where we're using them. Are we using them in ways that we reflect our priorities? How are we spending our time? How are we spending our money? And how are you using the gifts and talents that God has given you? And then ask yourself, am I spending my resources on the things that really matter? Am I spending my resources on things that bring forth the kingdom? Am I spending them in ways that shows my love for God and my love for neighbor? 
Friends, may you sit with this parable throughout the week, and may it cause us all to think about the things that really matter. And may we remember the words of the prophet Micah. What does the Lord require of us? To seek justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. Oh, friends, may we accept God's transforming grace so that indeed these can be our stepping stones. It is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, mother to us all. Amen. My friends, when the manager saw that he was losing his job, his life was turning upside down, he stopped for a moment and he took an inventory and he found out the things that really matter. What matters for us as followers of Christ is that we go out into the world, that we love those we come in contact with, that we help the poor, and that we share Christ's love with everyone. So leave this place today following in those footsteps. Go in peace, go in love. Amen.